We started talking about this last week, the year of promise. I really want to invite you to just take some of these things down. I've only listed five. Today we're going to talk about life, eternal life, abundant life, and the promise of health. And these are some things that we want to lay hold of. How many people, by a show of hands, have been sick in this life? You've been sick at some point or the other. What that's going to do, thank you so much, what that's going to do is going to challenge your belief that God wants you healthy. And so in the face of sickness, and sometimes it's how we take care of ourselves, how I take care of myself, but in the face of sickness, there is a word from God that we have to hold on to. And I'm going to show you that in just just a few minutes. Remember this scripture. This is the one that we're building our case from. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. I'm pressing. You tell me what's happening. There we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18, 19 and 20. I want you to hold that close. Because what the apostle reminds us is that when it comes to God, there's no yes and no. And that's what I want you to hold to. God's not like me. I might tell you something today, change my mind tomorrow. God's not like us. When he says something, in fact, the Bible is so clear. If you look at Isaiah 55, the Bible says when God gives a word, that word cannot return to him void. But it must accomplish that for which he sent it. So I want you to see God in that light. When he makes a promise, he holds to that promise. If you don't see the promise of God being fulfilled in the scriptures, chances are something is wrong on the human level. And God is waiting to rectify something on the anthropological level. But his promises remain. And they're waiting for those who will take hold of them. Paul reminds us in a beautiful scripture in the book of Philippians. He says that I want to apprehend that for which I have been apprehended. In other words, God has taken hold of my life for something specific. And I want to take hold of that. So the God that we teach in this ministry is a God of his word. And his word is his bond. I want you to know that God's word is his bond. If God does not keep his word, God ceases to exist. And seeing that that is impossible, his word is always kept. And so I want you to hold on to that. In the face of when it looks like things are not working out, they're not coming to pass, God's word remains true. So we're going to focus in here. See that? Yea, nay, that's not God. Verse number 19 says, it's not God, nay, nay, but in God or in Christ, every word is yes. One of the reasons why I think when you hear a word from God, whether it's being preached or you're reading it, you should respond by saying amen. It's because God has said yes to his word and now he needs an echo to establish it. So for instance, when you hear, let's say, God has spoken to you something this morning, and you come here, you hear the same word, you're actually supposed to say amen to that. Not for the sake of the preacher, so he or she can feel like they're preaching, but what you're doing is, in the mouth of three witnesses, every word is being established. And that's the power of the amen. God has said amen, we say amen. And you know what you've just done? Thy will be done as it is 
every word from God, Psalm 119, is settled in heaven. The settled word now needs to become the established word in the earth. And we respond by saying amen to his word. In verse number 20, Paul reminds us. All right, we'll skip verse number 20. Yeah, there it is. All the promises in him, they are yes and they are amen. So watch what I'm trying to teach you here. The yay is God's part. The amen is our part. God says yes to something. God says, I am healed. I say amen to that. And then everything becomes now for his glory by us through Jesus Christ. Last week I told you that God has promised us eternal life. I want to just revisit this for a quick moment. In John 3.16, very simple scripture. We know it. It's a Sunday school text. For God so loved the world that he gave us. I could actually quote it like this, gave us himself in the person of Jesus Christ. That if we believe on that sacrifice that God made for us, we shall have eternal life. And what I told you is that promise from God that you and I can live eternally. That means even though death is a product of a fallen world, there's a promise on our lives that even beyond the grave, we shall live again. And I want you to truly get a hold of that because even Christians in the face of death, they start to lose their mind and they forget that Jesus reminds us that I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he, we're going to live again. Every one of us, it's appointed unto us once to die. Why is that? Because of Adam's sin. His sin brings death into the world, and death has passed on to all men. We're all going to die. But the beautiful thing about believing on Jesus is, at some point, I don't know when, I don't know how, we're going to get up. It's, it's a, it, I, can't, I cannot tell you in any particular language, but at some point, we're going to be clothed with a glorious body, never to die again. That's a promise from God. And so death no longer has a sting for the believer. Grave no longer has a victory. Thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. You know, when I was an unbeliever, it bothered me because I went, um, one of my friends, who was a young man, his name was Nigel. We went to high school together. We were close friends, played music together. He was working at a company. He was electrocuted on the job about 21 years old, and he died. I was a rabid unbeliever, a sinner to the core. I went to his funeral. I had to speak at his funeral. You know when you go to those funerals, all the high school friends are there. Everyone's crying. Everyone's in tears. And I'll never forget this because it stamped in my spirit. When we went to the cemetery, the Christians were singing. I was angry. <laughs> I was really angry. They were saying, no, soon. I was angry in that moment because I said, why are they singing at his grave? They should be crying. It was only after I became a Christian that I understood why at, at funerals believers behave the way they behave because they believe that this is not the end. And I want you to believe God has promised us eternal life. It does three things quickly, everyone. Here's the first one. It gets us away from this idea that there's nothing beyond this life. 
That makes us pessimistic. We start living as if this is the only life. And this is a great life, but it is not the only life. It's actually a stairway to a greater life. The Bible actually calls this life small things. And if we can be faithful over small things, he will make us ruler over great things. So the Christian does not walk around thinking, there's no hope. When I die, what's going to happen? Again, I was watching something and a thought came to me. And I was making the contrast between the believer and the unbeliever. I was watching some sports and I saw how people were just getting into it. And it dawned on me that in this life, the unbeliever puts everything into this life. Because they believe that there's nothing else. So they give 100%. They're going to give all in this life. Because that's all there is. In fact, there's philosophical schools that teach this is all there is. The Christian makes another mistake. Can I tell you what it is? The Christian puts everything in the next life. And the Christian doesn't realize that you can balance both. You can live an abundant life with the hope of eternal life. That's the beautiful thing. You can live a great life here and now with the knowledge that there's even greater that's going to break forth in my life. And we can balance those two. This, watch, the way to heaven is not through hell. I want you to hear that again. The way to heaven is not through hell. It's through earth. <laughs> and you know the earth is the Lord's. And the fullness thereof. Someone say amen to that. In other words, I want you to enjoy life. With the promise of eternal life. Let's keep going through this as fast as I can. In recognition, he loves the world. And he's given to us everlasting life. Hell is not my home. It's not our home. And what we're going to try to do as a ministry is we're going to try to pull as many people out of this place as possible. Convince a lot of people that this is not our destination. We're not going to a place of eternal suffering. Wherever we're going, Jesus is there. And in his presence, there is fullness of joy. At his right hand, there, that's where we're going. And we're going to try to pull as many people from that. I want you to build this discipline. Even the people you don't like, pull them out. Pull them out. Don't pray prayers. Send them here, God. No, pull them out. Snatch them, the Bible says, like branches from the burning. So there is no condemnation, and we spoke about this last week. There is no condemnation. Not this is, and this is something we've got to believe in the body of Christ. Can I make this statement? Stop protecting God. He doesn't need protection. <laughs> Stop standing up for him. He doesn't need you to stand up for him. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because too many people begin to defend God. God's holy. You can't come near him. That's not true. God is holy, but he's come to us that we might come to him. And so I told you last week, we've got to teach an age of no condemnation. The son of God, here's what the Bible says. He did not come into the world. Are you going to quote it with me? To condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The message of the church is non condemnation 
It just, in other words, it doesn't matter what you did. The blood is still efficacious. Do you know this? The blood of Jesus is not afraid of your sins. Can I say that again? The blood of Jesus is not afraid of your sins. It's strong enough. That's why we sing songs. It will never lose its power. Here's what I want to teach you. It doesn't matter what you did. Get back up again. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Don't let in this season of your life any mistake keep you down. And get the fingers of unbelievers and believers off your neck. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus that strive to walk after the spirit, not after the flesh. I feel this one strongly because you see it often in the body of Christ. There are too many barristers and judges in the church. Can I say that again? There are too many barristers and judges in the church and there's only one judge and there's only one advocate with the Father. That's Jesus Christ and you know the rest. <laughs> yes. I guess, I, guess, I guess when you're not born in the church, you can sort of teach these messages because when you know the kind of sinner that you were and how God brought you out, how dare you even think to judge someone when he found you in a waste, howling wilderness. And so if we would learn this, I'm telling you this, if we would learn this and trust God, our ministries would be filled with people with all kinds of issues that the Holy Spirit is working on like he's working on me and working on you. And all of a sudden, the body of Christ can become not just a sheepfold, not just a place, a monastery for the saints, but it can become a hospital for those that need a physician. I wondered to myself, what would it be like if Jesus was here today? Who would he hang around with? And how would that make us feel? Listen to that again. If he were here today in this modern context, who would he spend most of his time with? And how would that make me feel? And I think it's no different in the first century than it is today. We may have some issues with who he wants to minister to. There is no condemnation. Let's go a little further into this. There's no uncertainty again. I want us to be convinced. I want you to be. This is what the Bible calls assurance. I want you to know with an assurance. That, and that's why, thank you, Tanya. That's why that song rose up. It is well. That's an assurance. It is well with our souls. There's no uncertainty. There's no guessing about what's going to happen. Wherever he is, that's where we're going to be. Thank you, Jesus. Now, this is the second promise. Now, you may say, why this one, Pastor? You just did eternal life. God has promised us abundant life. But what I found in the Bible, watch this. I found out that there is a slight difference between eternal life and abundant life. And I want to explain that. It's a slight difference. In John 3.16, the Lord says, if you believe, you got it. In John 10.10, 10, he says, I am come that they 
might have it. And I discovered something. Eternal life and abundant life, one actually flows from the other, but it's where they're used and the space in which they're used. When Jesus promised us abundant life, he was talking about here and now. I want you to hear this. Here and now. He's promised us abundant life. Can I show you something? Why there's a difference? Because you can have Christians who have eternal life, but don't experience abundant life. <laughs> Does that make sense? From, from, from the Greek, the, the, the periosos, life that is beyond, life that is superabounding, life that is immeasurable. He's promised us that life. And so what he wants for us is to live a life that's constantly overflowing. Do you see what I'm saying? But it's a promise from him. I think when people get around talking about, uh, do you believe in prosperity, pastor? Are you a prosperity preacher? I don't know what, exactly what you're asking me. Are you asking me if God wants me to live an abundant life? Ask me that question. Because it's the devil that comes to steal stuff from my life. It's the devil that comes to destroy things in my life. It's the devil that comes to tear down. Jesus said, watch, I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. But there's a might there. You have to want that. You have to desire that. And over the years, our theology has told us, we don't want that. Or that's reserved for the next life. That's for the here and now. That's for this life. Someone should have said amen. Because that's what he desires for my life. Can I make a statement with you? I I'm having a hard time with a God who is my father. Who desires me to suffer and wallow in poverty. Because I have a son. He's not the best son. He's not the greatest son. He's a wonderful guy. He makes mistakes. But I, as a sinner, desire the best for his life. I would never want to see him suffer. I would never want to watch him wallow. I would never want to see him down in the dumps. Now, if I, being evil, know how to think that way about my son, how much more does my heavenly father desire to give me I want to talk about God the right way I want to talk about God the right way we've got the incorrect picture of our father little children it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom he desires the best for your life it's the devil that's telling you that God wants you to suffer it's the devil that's telling you that God wants you to lack no, ma'am. No, sir. You see, some of you are still looking at me funny like I'm teaching something that's outside of the Bible. It's right there in the Word of God. It's the Lord your God that gives you the power to get wealth that He might establish His covenant with you. You know the text, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You know the rest. My cup He wants us to have abundant life. It's a might. And so every person in this room that claims God is their father should be striving for the best in life. Let my cup overflow, God. 
let others drink from my cup and it's still not empty I feel like preaching a little bit God let the best come into my life crown the year of my life with goodness let all my paths drop with fatness talk to me somebody he wants the best for our lives he wants the best for our lives does that mean we're not going to go through we're going to go through some stuff the devil is going to try us and test us but the god that we serve he's going to preserve us and though men ride over our heads and though we walk through the waters and through the fires it's not going to drown us it's not going to burn us and he is going to bring us out into a wealthy place i need someone to say amen to that we're tired of lack we're tired of not enough he wants the best for my life can I make a quick statement to you and because he wants the best that's why I from this position give him the best praise that I can because he's a reciprocal God if I give him the best it's just a matter of time before he opens the windows of heaven and pours out a blessing that I have not room to receive it he wants the best for our lives he wants the best for our lives here's my question do you want the best or do you want to create a theology that has the worst coming into your life from the hand of your father the God that we serve watch Let me repeat that again. I had to say it low because I want you to listen. The God that we serve is a good God. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good. He's a good God. He wants the best for our lives. I'm going to walk with him. See, I'm come. Underline that might in your Bible because that's up to us to decide if we want that tired yes i am i'm tired of unbelievers who want the best out of this life making me feel guilty because i want the best so that they can hoard it to themselves hmm? i'm tired of christians telling me about eye of the needle camel i'm not a camel <laughs> oh, you don't want to talk to me today can you tell there's a little frustration in the voice? How hard it is for a rich man to go to the kingdom of heaven. I'm, like, I'm not a camel. And the context of the scripture are those that trust in their riches. Our trust is in God who enriches our lives. I want the best for every person. And I want the best for my life. Robert Play, I'm going to end on this one. I'll show you two things on the text. I want everyone to lift your hands if you desire the best for your life. I didn't say you're there yet. I'm not there yet. But I want the best. Bible says he feeds us on the finest of the wheat. Made Israel to suck honey out of the rock. That's the God that we serve and when they were thirsty he commanded the rock to open up for them when they were hungry he commanded quail to fall already cooked for them he wants the 
best for Rhema. He wants the best for the body of Christ. Can I make a statement? Don't settle for anything less in your life. Don't settle when the devil throws you scraps. Give it back to him and say, that's not from my God. I'm still waiting for something. I'm waiting for him to really bless my life. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. Speak it over your life in this moment. We're almost through. Speak it over your life. God desires the best for my life. God desires the best for my family. God desires the best path for my life. God desires the best in my life. I receive it in the name of Jesus Christ. I only settle for the best. I feel it making a way for somebody. I don't want that job. I want that job. I don't want that house. I want that house, God. Ask and it shall be given. I want to ask in a manner that's commensurate with his giving. Let me repeat that again. I want to ask in a manner that's commensurate with his giving. So that when somebody asks me, where did you get that from? I will tell them, my God gave it to me. Yes. Stay here, everyone. Your life should consistently be overflowing. Consistently. Brooks won't dry up with this God. It's consistent. You see, the Holy Spirit comes and what he does, he becomes a river inside of you. And out of your belly shall flow rivers, living waters. There is nowhere in the Bible that you will tell me that God puts us in dry places forever. The man that trusts God, that believes, he becomes like a tree, planted rivers. His leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he does, it shall prosper. That's what God has been whispering in our ears. And life has beaten it out of us. The devil has taken it away from us, that drive and that desire. It's happened to me many times until we settle and we say, this is what it's got to be. This is what it's been. It's been this way for my parents and their parents. And that's got to be. My God said, no, no, no. I am come. Lastly, and then we're going to go home. I want to go back. I, I'll do this next week. There's something I didn't show you. This is it. The full measure of life. In Genesis 2, 7, and I'm finished here. The Bible said that when God framed the man from the dust of the ground, he breathed into his nostrils. And the English translation says, the breath of life. But in the Hebrew translation, the word breath and life is pluralized. He breathed into him the breath of lives. Everything that life had to offer, he blew that inside of the man. When you pluralize an intangible term like life or holiness, you're not adding numerically to it. You're talking about it in its highest form. 
It's called a superlative. That's what Jesus echoes. Genesis 2-7 and John 10-10. I've come to give you that life that is the full measure. So today, most calls will tell you that it's life that's full, running over to the fullest measure. So that when you live this life and it's ended, you can actually say, I have truly lived. Do you know the sad reality is that many people live, but they have not lived. Am I right? We're all in that boat. A few months ago, back, I began talking to you about some simple little things that I think you should do. I know some of you may say, well, that's not very spiritual. Because some of us also believe that life to the fullest means that we pray 24 hours a day. And I don't believe that any longer. I believe your spirit can be in prayer all the time. But you can be on a beach somewhere in Cancun. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Are, are you following what I'm saying? You could be on one of those Viking cruises. Living life. Huh? And I'm not going to have an issue with you not coming to service on Sunday. Because I want you to live. I want you to live. I want you to live. I'm going to say it again. I want us to live. Stand on your feet, everyone. I want us to live. I want us to live. Live the life he died for. Live holy. Live righteous. Live a life of pleasure. And put him at the top of everything. When you cut that steak, whatever it is, you say, thank you, Lord. Did you hear what I just said? Thank you, Lord. If you don't believe me, I'm a scholar of the Bible. I won't apologize for that. When you come this Wednesday, I'll take you to Deuteronomy 8. And I will show you Dalton where God says, and when you get over there, and when you begin to eat bread to the full, and when you begin to dig those things out of the out of the rock and draw from those wells you didn't dig, he says, and when you've eaten and you're full, don't forget to bless the name of the Lord your God. Hallelujah. I need somebody just lift your hands and say, Thank you, Lord. Just say thank you, Lord. It's it's coming your way. It's it's coming your way. It's coming your way. I bless the church. I bless the church. Let me. I bless the church. I bless the church. No lack. No scarcity. No poverty. No sickness upon us. I bless the church. The abundant life. I release in the name of Jesus Christ. You simply say amen and amen and amen. He made a way.